Hi, good evening. This is Yaakov Katz, a senior fellow at the Jewish People Policy Institute, JPPI. And welcome to another episode of the Inside Analysis and a look at Israel's ongoing war against Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Uh, today, we have a great lineup and a lot to talk about. We'll be hearing shortly from IDF Lieutenant Colonel Reserves and former in Israel's former Minister of Communications, Yoaz Hendel, who's been down along the border uh, in operations with Hamas since October 7th and in seeing combat and leading uh, forces along the border as well as elsewhere. We'll hear from him kind of his perspective of what's happening on the ground as well as the different vantage point now being an officer and a commander of soldiers along the border as opposed to what it was once when he not that long ago was sitting around a cabinet table and making the decisions far away in Jerusalem. I'm joined this evening by Shmuel Rosner, a senior fellow at JPPI, Gil Troy from the JPPI, and Donna Van Luzon, another fellow from the JPPI. So a whole crew of JPPI, and we all, except for Donna, seem to be, have gotten the memo that we're supposed to wear blue shirts this evening. So I'm glad, gentlemen, that you, uh, Donna, I apologize for not updating you on that. Um, but there's a lot to talk about. I don't know where we can even begin, but I'll just say one word and then we'll go to Yoaz's interview, but I'll leave you with, with some thought that maybe we can all talk about after. Uh, the comment that was made today by a minister in the Israeli government, Amichai Elio, about the possibility of using uh, nuclear weapons as a potential option for how to deal with uh, the Gaza Strip is obviously absurd, should never have been made. But what struck me is when we look at the, and think about the concept of leadership and what is it, what is what is the leader meant to do? There was a great example that was actually given just last week when Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, uh, gave, decided to fire an aide because that person had called for a ceasefire, and that was against the policy that his government was pushing at the time and still continues to push with its great support and really, despite everything that we're seeing on the streets of London, amazing support for the state of Israel fired an aide for just calling, daring to call for a ceasefire. And here in our, unfortunately, in, in our government, nothing, right? There's some fake suspension, which is not even true because the cabinet, just for our listeners and viewers, doesn't even meet as a full government. So to say that you're suspending a minister really has no actual impact or effect. Contemplate that, guys, and we'll get back to it. Uh, and I want to hear your thoughts about that and everything else that's going on. But first, let's hear from Yoaz Hendel and his perspective of what's happening right now along the Gaza border. Here he is. Yoaz Hendel, it's great to have you on the JPPI webinar. So you've been down south for the last uh, month, pretty much, ever since October 7th began. Uh, I see you've grown the mustache. It's looking good for now. But maybe you could give us a overview of how things look on the on the end of being the commander of forces on the ground, a reservist commanding over uh, a large group of soldiers. What are the challenges and how do you see the mission at hand? So first of all, uh, I will ignore the mustache, but uh, I have to uh, uh, to treat the great spirit that I feel here. The field, and I think that this is the main uh, the main call of uh, this war. It's a strong, very strong st spirit of the Israeli uh, people, and uh, not like what uh, Nasrallah said uh, many years ago. And this spirit actually led the whole system to uh, achieve uh, the right outcomes. 
And when I'm saying the, the right outcomes is to make sure that we have an ability to eliminate the threats for uh, the people that live here in the south, people that uh, after uh, last month uh, should be stronger than ever, people that uh, need to feel comfortable and safe enough to come back to those villages to flourish this place, while the other side, the Hamas, and his headquarters and his uh, close arena should be eliminated. So what does eliminated mean? Because I think everyone understands, and you're a historian, you're a military expert, not just a soldier yourself, but everyone understands there's no there's no such thing as destroying every Hamas person. There's no, there's no such right. thing as destroying Hamas as an idea. What does the elimination really mean as, as you understand it? So as you remember, I also was a professor at university and I taught a course on how to defeat terrorism and guerrilla. And when, we are, when I'm saying eliminating, defeating the enemy, it means that you are uh, eliminating the core of the organization, which means that if you have uh, 10,000 uh, terror activists, you need to eliminate, and I'm using this word, eliminate uh, around 7,000. Uh, there is uh, some point that this organization will not be able to threat Israel and will not be able to affect uh, in a very strong way the people that live in the south. And this is the point that we need to achieve. Otherwise, we will find ourselves with uh, the same threat in the next few years. The, the, this is a change of a paradigm, right? It's like basically shifting the entire military strategy and policy, because until now, Israel was focused in all these years on building up defenses. They got missiles, we got Iron Dome. They got tunnels, we built an underground barrier. What we're saying now is no more to any of those defenses. Now it's elimination. I wouldn't say it's not a zero or ten. We will still use probably defense systems and uh, different ways to defend ourselves. But at the same time, the world uh, deterrence that we used a lot in the last few years which in sometimes uh, uh, drive us to, uh, to look for silence. Uh, now I think we need to change it. We need to create the fear in the other side. We need to make sure that the other side will think twice, three, four, five times when he thinks, even think about attacking Israel, even with one missile. And in the last, I would say, 20 years, the Hamas knew that if he launched rockets, he might find himself in a conflict, in a small and limited conflict, but the same, or even a military operation. But he also could find himself in nothing because the other side, which is us, will contain it. So I think that what we need to change is the fear. The deterrence should be more than a word. It should be on the ground. It should be with actions. And this is the main change that we need to achieve now. Yoaz, uh, October 7th, you were home. It was Simchat Torah. You were with your four kids, your wife, um, family. W w you heard the news. What happened? What did you do? What's your personal story here? So I was in the middle of a jogging before the shul. This is what I'm doing in Simchat Torah before I'm dancing with the Torah. And uh, suddenly I heard the different uh, uh, sounds of... Uh, uh, and I didn't know what is it exactly. 
and I came back home, and suddenly I understood that there is, we are in the middle of something. And the news uh, come very slowly and very lately. And at uh, 12 or 1 p.m., I found myself uh, signing on, uh, on, uh, on my weapon. And uh, as a military reserve, uh, find myself in some uh, units that I supposed to help them. And I didn't understand completely what's going on in the field, on the field. I didn't understand all those SMSs and uh, messages from the south, from people from the in the kibbutzim, and what's going on. I was sure that uh, and one hundred percent confidence in the fact that someone will help them. That there are enough units in the south that can help the kibbutzim and the moshavim. And I can tell you that still now, one month after this war has started, I'm still thinking about my options and what I've done and what I could do in order to help those people. Because if the army and different units would take the, those weapons that we sign on and would go straight to the south to help the kibbutzim, maybe the numbers would, be, would look like uh, different, but this is for the 6 p.m. after the war, not for now. For now, we have only one mission, is to defeat the Hamas and to make sure that we have ability to build, to rebuild, this area to make sure that uh, those kibbutzim and the yeshuvim will be stronger than ever. And yeah. as I said, those are the main two steps. After that, we have a lot of things to do in Israel to change, to make sure that uh, uh, we are ready enough to the, to the uh, next step ever again. This sentence is full of meaning today. You know, you were... Up until maybe about a year ago, a member of the of the government, you were a politician for a number of years. You sat in cabinet meetings, and now you're on the ground. So you're you're looking at things from two different perspectives, right? There's one thing is looking at it while sitting at the cabinet table in Jerusalem, and now on the ground, you're no longer a politician. So you're just focused on reserved duty. But I'm curious what that perspective, you know, do, what what do do the cabinet ministers, let's say in Jerusalem, do they understand what you spoke about before the spirit? Tell us a little more about what the soldiers are saying. They want to go all the way, right? Yeah, they want to go all the way, but I would I, I cannot say I cannot separate completely between my background and what I'm doing now, my military mission, but I can tell you that I'm focusing only on my military mission and not on what's going on in Jerusalem. I just trying to encourage them to come here uh, as much as they can in order to understand. And there, there, is, there are some phenomena that, uh, you, that people, the decision makers should understand uh, on the ground. Uh, this great spirit, those volunteers that come in from all over Israel uh, to join the reserve duty, those volunteers that come in to help the kibbutzim, to help in agriculture or just to bring food or uh, gear or military gear or whatever, those people are actually leading the country to another stage. They're, those people are actually, uh, I would say, maintaining uh, the Zionistic spirit. And suddenly, we all figured out, we all understood that we, for many months or many years, all of us, uh, from right and from left, we we were focusing on the wrong uh, on the wrong uh, missions, right. and uh, and now. It's time uh, to focus only on one mission, on the military mission to defeat Hamas, and at the same time to understand that there will be day after, and the spirit should uh, transfer also to Jerusalem, and for sure, uh, 
the days after this book. Okay, one last question, Yoaz. You wrote, a few years ago, you wrote a book. You and I wrote a book together a bunch of years ago, but you wrote a book called Abba Yotzei Lemiluim, right? Father, dad goes to reserve duty. Uh, By the way, it could become a bestseller now. There's so many fathers who who are in the reserves, but you have four kids at home. So I'm just curious also from the personal perspective, what's it like being a month away and the kids are home your wife taking, she's a doctor. It's a lot going, like, how, how do you manage that personal aspect? So I have no personal aspect when I'm here, but uh, my wife, of course, she have, and uh, she has, and uh, it's uh, not that easy to manage uh, with the four kids, two of them are teenagers, uh, but I'm trying to call them as much as I can, and they are missing me and I'm missing them. And this is part of the challenge. Uh, those people that uh, serving in the reserve duty uh, uh, cope with. And uh, I hope that uh, in the next month we'll find those people uh, in some short vacations back at home. But at the end of the day, it's it's not normal. It's not normal that someone leaves his home and his place and his work and going to one month or two months fight with a, a, a terror organization, a ISIS, as we call it. It's not normal that a, a terror activist killing kids and women. It's not normal that a democratic, modern, liberal state like Israel should cope with a phenomena that maybe belong to the dark ages. And everything is not normal, but we are finding the light. And the light is uh, the great spirit that we spoke about. Uh, the light is the fact that people here are willing to risk their life in order to protect other people. As we called in Hebrew, and Yaakov, maybe you can translate it. Uh, Helping one another. Everybody helps one another. Exactly, exactly. And those values that maybe we forgot for a while, those values are rising again. And I think that uh, it's giving me a lot of... Uh, I would say, an optimistic uh, vision on the future. In this stage, when you, when I saw and my my uh, team and uh, other soldiers here saw so many horrible uh, views, now it's, it's there is some light in uh, this event, and I hope that we'll be able to use this light and to use this spirit in order to rebuild what we need to build, and we need some. Yoaz Hendel, former Minister of Communications, now a Lieutenant Colonel in the IDF Reserves. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was Yoaz Hendel, also uh, caught up with the mustache uh, fad that's going on in the IDF. I'm sure many of you, if you haven't, to our, list, for our viewers and listeners, you should check out Google the mustache and glorious bastards music, whatever, based on the Quentin Tarantino. It, for some humor, you know, when the war humor begins, at least that you can laugh. Uh, getting back to what I opened with. So, Shmuel, let's start with you for a moment. I mean, you know, militarily today, not huge movements. Israel had that window of uh, giving some humanitarian corridor of sorts. The Americans still pushing very much for a ceasefire. But looking politically at what's happening, and there was a big poll over the weekend also that showed Netanyahu tanking. Gantz taking off in the other direction. Bennett potentially would get 17 seats if he were to run. And then this Amichai Eliyahu, I mean, for lack of a better term, pigua, like, you know, it's a, it's like just the last thing that Netanyahu would need, like a terrorist attack from within. What do you make of this just complete lack of control of what's happening politically? 
Although the, the poll that was published uh, at the end of the week um, pretty much continues a trend that we've seen in the in the last four weeks, and and we've been talking about this. This is a we have a government uh, that does not have much trust from the public. It has the support of the public as long as it fights the war against Hamas, but not the trust of the public. And this was evident in the poll. And the fact that uh, this poll or, or a different poll showed uh, growing support for Naftali Bennett, former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, as a, a possible or even probable candidate in the next election is is um, is testimony to the fact that people are looking for options. They're looking for alternatives. Um, um, supporters of Bennett come mostly from the right, center-right, and center. And these are people who do not want the uh, parties on the right, Likud and right of Likud, and might not feel quite comfortable with the centrist tendency of Benny Gantz. So they're looking for something in between uh, uh, the Mamlachti camp and, and Likud, and Bennett could be an alternative. As for Minister Amichai Eliyahu, Look, it's important to put these things in context. This is an insignificant minister sitting on top of an insignificant ministry uh, and not thinking straight. Uh, I think by, by this uh, by this point, we all realize that he made a huge error by saying what he did. Uh, even pundits and supporters of uh, right-wing parties already called for his resignation or proposed that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, uh, sack him. Clearly, he should not have said what he did. Um, I, I, would, I would add that this is one nugget that could give us um, a hint of what expects us after the war is over by which to say um, differences and gaps and ideological uh, uh, divisions in Israel did not disappear when the war started. They are still very much in play. Uh, Amichai Eliyahu does represent a, a radical uh, part of the Israeli public, and when the war is over and we will have to go back and, and we will have to go back to debating, you know, what arrangements are, you know, can can govern Gaza, what arrangements are necessary for the rest of the, the, the territories for Judea and Samaria. When the Americans come forward and say, OK, we supported the war. Now we expect you to come forward and join a peace process then we are going to see these divisions come to the fore and we are going to see people such as Minister Eliyahu and his supporters and the parties to which he belongs uh, fighting against uh, other Israelis who might uh, have other uh, conclusions. You, you know, we, we don't know yet exactly what type of conclusions Israelis are drawing from the catastrophe of October 7th, 
and uh, and the ensuing war. Uh, does this mean that you know no peace process is going to be trusted from now and for the next twenty years, or maybe some Israelis are going to say, well, with no peace process and no prospect for any type of separation or arrangement, this is going to be our future, and hence we must push some type of um, arrangement or a settlement for in, in the coming years. So these divisions are going to come to the fore, and the, the, really the, the, foolish, the foolish comment by Minister Eliyahu is just a reminder that these divisions still exist within no Israeli society. Yeah. Dana, I mean, the fact that these divisions do still exist in Israeli society and, and they're not going away, but we, we feel that today maybe, you know, we have a bit of a respite from them, right? They're they're not playing out right now. Do you think that the day after this war ends, we just go back to the way we were right before? Does none of it linger? Does it automatically fall back to the way it was? I'm sure we will. And following what uh, Shmuel said, um, I, I don't think we need to be surprised by what he said today because this government is extremist from the beginning and saying a statement which is unacceptable and even so opposite from the policy and the moral of Israel. And this is not the first time, you know, Ben Gvir and other People in the government are saying from the beginning statements which are so outrageous and nothing really changed. So today is just another day in the Israeli government. Sorry to say that. Well, straight to the point. Uh, yeah. Gil, but still, I mean, leaders are, are, are tested in moments like this, right? You know, there, there was another thing that I was thinking about. I don't think Netanyahu has gone to a single shiva. I don't think he's gone to a single funeral. I don't think he's met with, I mean, I'm, I'm actually doing this call, nothing special about me. I'm doing this this webinar, not from my home office where I usually do. I'm at a hotel in Tel Aviv because I came here to visit friends who were evacuated from their kibbutz um, and wasn't going to make it back in time to Jerusalem. I mean, like nothing special about me. That's what everyone's doing, right? Visiting. He hasn't visited the people who were evacuated and were kicked and, and were removed from their homes. Now, now, Face up. Yeah, of course, they're going to yell at you. They're going to scream at you. They're going to curse you. But isn't that what a leader is meant to do? Yes. Look, we've been saying this is what leadership looks like when we see Joe Biden saying, don't, don't, don't. And I have to uh, push my brother's column. My brother, Tevi Troy, wrote a column in The Washington Examiner talking about how uh, Joe Biden had certain staffers saying, wait, slow down. We need a balanced statement. And he said, no, no, no. I also have to point out that at the top of the hour, you mentioned the um, the British prime minister, but in the Ram party, Khatib Yassin, just half an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, was punished by her party. And she's being asked potentially to resign because she, as an Arab MK, doubted that there were rapes and murders on October 7th. That's what leadership looks like. And uh, I agree with Donna and Shmuel that part of the issue has to do with the political divisions in the country. But one of the things that I, I'm not as humble as Shmuel, I don't want to know what the Israeli pol, uh, public is thinking. I want to tell the Israeli public what to think. And one of the things we need to start doing is last week we talked about the importance of good governance, and it doesn't even translate well into Hebrew. We also have to start talking about tonal leadership, that in the last couple of years, we've allowed a tone of aggression, of disrespect, of threats 
from the left and from the right to let all the political genies out. And we've seen what it does to our national soul. And we've seen what it does even to our defense posture. And I hope that the day after, even as we fall back into some of the old political positions, we also say, wait a minute, we really need a change. And one other dimension, if I may, is that even though Netanyahu finally did speak up and say these words are unacceptable, and even though we've seen a massive repudiation of those words, I know that there are so many haters out there at Yale, at Princeton, we've been talking about the universities, uh, in the media, they're gonna take that quotation and use that to define Israel. That is actually a litmus test for them, and it shows how much they lack integrity, but it also is an important reminder to us that while I think on certain issues like a humanitarian ceasefire, which to me is a contradiction in terms, because uh, terrorists don't deserve humanitarian ceasefires, human beings do, but we've given too many of those. Uh, it's, it's like a you know um, a healthy cancer, right? You can't you can't take a pause, uh, and certainly until our hostages are freed and our hostages are given a humanitarian ceasefire, we can't really go there. So yes, we have to on certain things hold the line really really well. But there's no need for us to have forced errors. There's no unforced errors. There's no need for us to give a gift to the haters. And that was just a gift to the haters unnecessarily. And also was an immoral statement, but it gives every one of our leaders an opportunity to say, ah, we have red lines. They're not red lines imposed on by the United Nations or by the United States even, but they're imposed on by our own souls. And unfortunately, over the last couple of years, too many of us have forgotten about the importance of the national soul. I want to shift gears for a moment. Um, Donna, last last week, just like I think it was like a uh, well, Friday, pretty much, uh, the National Security Council put out a warning saying to Israelis, don't go anywhere, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. We're used to being told, don't go to Europe countries, don't go to Turkey, don't go to enemy states. Now we're being told not to travel anywhere because of everything that's going on around the world. Uh, that, was a, that was a big statement, right? What does that mean for, for Israel? I was, to be honest, when I saw that message and they say, don't travel anywhere and don't show Jewish or Israeli markers, I was completely horrified. I was like, what does it mean not to go anywhere and not to show I am Jewish or an, an Israeli? And it means to, to, to deny my identity, not to show who I am. I'm, I'm supposed to be afraid to show who we are. It, it's, it's, it's not normal. And we see the rise of the anti-Semitism and we see pictures of houses in different places. And I saw a picture of, of a house in Paris with the sign of the Magen David on it. It's like they are marking us again, saying, don't go anywhere. Don't use your Israeli signs. And we are marking you. And I was saying, what's going on here? We said never again after the Holocaust, and we had the October 7th, and now that. But after two days uh, at the, at, like last night, I saw the same picture of the house in Paris with the Magen David sign. And I saw that the Jewish people there made something so beautiful and powerful. Around the Jewish sign, the Magen David, they draw flags and they wrote Am Israel Chai, the Israeli people is alive. And I was thinking, this is it. Like, things are not going to be the same. We are not going to be afraid to show our identity. We have a country. We have a flag. It's not just an Israeli Magen David. So, and you can see that people now are fighting 
to not to avoid their identity. This is exactly why you can see on the website and Instagram and Twitter, people are changing their profile picture to the Magen David, to the flags by saying, we are not going to be afraid. We are not going to hide our identity. And I was so happy with this really powerful, so intelligent response to the drawing of the marking of the signs on the houses. Uh, you know, obviously the anti-Semitism that's around the world is deeply, deeply disturbing. And um, I think it's a challenge for everyone. You know, I got, I got, I had a phone call from a friend of mine today who said, after living in Israel for 20 years, I'm, I've started to think of whether maybe I should leave the country. Uh, and I said, well, you know, look around the world. I'm not sure anywhere is much safer if you want to be a Jew who publicly identifies as a Jew. But, you know, if that's for a different conversation. Shmuel, I, I, want to, I want to go back to you, though, and talk about Blinken for a moment. So Blinken was here on, uh, on, 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 Thurs on Thursday, Friday, and um, back again today in Ramallah, had the meetings over the weekend in, in Amman with foreign ministers. He's pushing this two-state solution, right? And, and you hear the language that's coming out of the administration. They're being very clear. We stand with Israel. We support Israel's rights to act in self-defense. But there's a lot of language now that we're hearing more now than in the past about the need for a uh, to protect the Palestinian civilians, to create a diplomatic political horizon. Does Netanyahu have any wiggle room here to do anything on this? Like he would buy a lot of a lot of credit in America right now if he were to simply say, we want the Palestinian Authority to come into Gaza. We want to empower it. And after the war, we're going to even embark on a new diplomatic dialogue. It's not going to—it's not going to lead to the establishment of a Palestinian state because that ain't happening, right? We will always have to protect, you know, take care of our own security. But create a horizon. Can he? Can't he do that? And that would give America. I think, and my read of it would be, America would say, "Take all the time you need now for Hamas." Well, I, I think there are considerations here for both sides. Uh, that are um, some of which are geopolitical or diplomatic, and some of which are clearly political. So, uh, if if I start with the geopolitics, I think for Israel it's a bit too early to discuss the post-war arrangements. I think that the Americans here are trying to push something uh, when Israel is not yet ready for it. Uh, we need we need to win a war first. Uh, against Hamas, it's not clear what's going to develop uh, up in the north uh, against Hezbollah. So everything is still up in the air. And beginning to talk now about possible, you know, negotiations or peace processes or or uh, future arrangements in, in Gaza and, uh, and Judea and Samaria seems a bit premature to me. I think it all also, you know, soon Gil will tell us what Israelis ought to think. But what they think now is that it's uh, premature to have such discussion. Uh, Israelis might be reminded of the 1991 uh, first Gulf War when the Americans assembled a huge uh, coalition against Saddam Hussein in Iraq. And immediately afterwards, decided to go to the Madrid process and assemble uh, uh, this coalition, try to push this coalition forward 
and and um, initiate a, a peace process in the in the Middle East. Again, when it comes to thinking about the the uh, the policy, I think it's a it's a bit early. I understand the need for the Americans to show some type of horizon. I understand why this is important for the image of Israel and for uh, maintaining the support of the international international community. However, there are also political considerations on both sides. And here, uh, the, 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 the calculation is a bit different. For Netanyahu to currently speak about uh, a political process with the Palestinians could derail his coalition and cause some trouble for him. On the other hand, when you think about the Biden administration, and I'm not I'm not sure if you've seen the, the poll this morning at the New York Times showing that uh, uh, President Biden is trailing uh, Donald Trump in many key states. So when Biden thinks about his coalition and the Democratic voters, it is clear that he's in a sensitive situation for him to lose younger voters, uh, non-white voters, uh, maybe voters who see the Israeli action as something that they oppose. That's a sensitive issue for him. And we might see the administration trying to amend his position in some fashion in order not to lose votes in the Democratic side. So, So for Netanyahu, Retaining or maintaining his coalition in Israel means no talking about political processes. For the Biden administration, the opposite might might be the case, and 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 that's why uh, the Americans and the Israelis both, for policy reasons and for political reasons, don't sing the exact same tune. Neil, are we at that inflection point? Is this is this where Biden? The Biden administration starts starts to turn. Do you feel that we're we're, we're there, and 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 how will we know when we are? Well, as I said before, the Biden administration can't afford to abandon Israel because I could then just write Donald Trump's speech: Afghanistan debacle, Ukraine stalemate. Joe Biden and his administration need a clear win for Israel in the Middle East right now. And if I had the ears of the Americans. I would say two things. One, I would say, you have to be very clear. October 7th was the day the two-state solution died. Not because of what we did, but because of what Hamas did. What Israeli, after the Oslo peace process led to a thousand deaths in what they call the Intifada, and I call the war against the peace process. After the disengagement, which was, Ariel Sharon said, we're gonna pull out from every grain of sand, Right, And the disengagement led to this multi-billion dollar war machine being built in Hamas and over 1,400 Israelis and counting being killed. What Israeli is going to say, oh, yes, of course, we're going to have a two-state solution with a, de- with a demilitarized Palestine. How is that going to look? So I understand the need to show some progress, change the language, stop talking about peace process, stop talking about two-state solution. Talk perhaps about peace more, not peace now, but peace more. Peace with Saudi Arabia. Peace with a reconstituted Palestinian Authority. Peace with a reinvigorated Palestinian Authority. Peace with a post-war Gaza that figures out how to live with 
Israel and the Jews and not just be addicted to destroying them. And during this time, I grew the Shmuel that Israelis have zero bandwidth for this kind of conversation. Of course, let's also point out Netanyahu is desperately trying to hold on to his power. And the only base he has is the base to the right, nowhere in the center, nowhere in the left. So he certainly can't burn them. Let's take these couple of weeks and think creatively, think out of the box, come up with new solutions because wars are always supposed to be to preserve the status quo. But the one thing we know is that the one victim of every war is the status quo. And so let's be a little more creative, a little more visionary and change thinking. And uh, and, and I think it has to come from the United States because the United States does have both the power and the breathing room. We're right now, we're all feeling like the noose is tightening around us. We're all feeling like, what's the next shoe to drop? We're all feeling like, what's the next funeral to go to? I went to a funeral this morning, like like you, Yaakov, all of us, we're, we're, we're you know, it's a, it's a full-time job. And, uh, and, and the cousin of this beautiful 23-year-old kid who was married two months ago said something really profound. He said, you win wars with a broken heart. And I think that really captures the paradox of where Israel's at right now. We're reeling, we're crying, we're mourning, but it only makes us stronger. And we will be strong enough to fix things. We will be strong enough to be creative, but we need our friends from abroad, both to give us total support and to start thinking a little bit ahead, but thinking out of the box and thinking in a very sympathetic way and an empathetic way rather than a very judgmental way. And unfortunately, too many of our fellow Jews uh, over the years and too many uh, American politicians have been thinking critically and not thinking empathetically. And that also led to us to this moment. They also have to get out of their conception too. Yeah, uh, very much, very eloquent, Gil. And I want to thank uh... Shmuel, Dana, Gil, and everyone, Yoaz Hendel, who joined us earlier. Thank you all very much, and we'll see you tomorrow. We'll be back for another episode of JPPI's Inside Analysis. In the meantime, have a quiet and safe night. Thank you very much.